Great. Uh, sweet. So we just, uh, would you mind introducing yourself and what you do at Reader's Digest? Sure. Uh, my name is Jeremy Greenfield. I'm a senior editor at Reader's Digest. Today is June 1st. Wow. 2018. That's the sixth month of this year. It's also the, the month we graduate from college. Yeah. It is. Uh, well, we did something <laughs> this week. Um, uh, yeah, so this week uh, on our Good News episode, we talked about uh, Reader's Digest, Nicest Places in America. And I found this story by uh, our RSS feed. That's something we use to collect stories. And we have the Good News Network as one of our sources on there that we get stories from. And uh, they highlighted a place where good things were happening. And it referenced Reader's Digest Nicest Places. So I just reached out. Connor went on a hunt. Yeah, I sent an email on Tuesday, released the episode Wednesday, and already by Thursday at 10 a.m., we were on a phone call with, with Jeremy. Yep, in, the, in the, the bedroom studio. Yeah. Hello? Hi, is this Jeremy? Yes. Hey, Jeremy, it's Connor from the How's Good How's it going? News. Yeah, not too bad. How are you? Good, good. Matt's here, too. Hi, Jeremy. Nice to meet you. My name is Matt. Hi, Matt. So we were able to then sit down and talk with him for about 20 minutes and uh, ask him about the nicest places in America. And he uh, explained what that is by saying this. With nicest places in America, we're looking out at the news landscape, especially at the end of, you know, in 2016, early 2017, when we launched this. And we saw um, just a lot of people really upset and half the country wanted to, you know, kill the other half of the country. So we thought, what can we do to talk about this cultural moment in a way that's uniquely Reader's Digest? Uh, so that's how Nicest Places in America was born. It's really a search for places where people are kind to each other, where they treat neighbors as friends and strangers are welcomed. And I think it's important to know that we're not saying that the number one nicest place in America, which last year we, we named Gallatin, Tennessee, as the nicest place in America, is any nicer than any of the other of our finalists. Um, what we're doing is we're looking at our hundreds and hundreds of nominations, many of which we've published on our website. And we're looking for... Uh, threads for stories um, that are really stand out that will make people feel good when they read them. So kind of the overall message is, you know, see all that stuff you see on cable news and on Twitter, that's not really representative of everything happening in America. This seems like almost a way of uh, a tool for engagement, finding stories and, and uh, really bringing those individuals out of the woodwork. But having it crowdsourced, which seems like an interesting idea. Crowdsourced in the sense that people are sending you uh, these places, these really amazing stories, um, which journalistically is seems like a, a, a really interesting strategy to find some of these um, really niche, small town, front porch stories uh, that you seem to be highlighting in a, in a really cool way. Um, is that engagement aspect uh, a big part of a Reader's Digest. Um, you guys have been around since the 1920s, from what I understand, um, and and have long been a part of Americans' uh, magazine habit. Um, 
is this just like another part of that engagement from all these years? Yeah, I, I would say that that's an accurate way of looking at it. I, I might tweak that a little bit uh, and say that we knew that we wanted to talk about these stories. We knew we wanted to tell these stories. Well, we didn't know that they were out there, but now that we're in our second year and we've gotten, uh, we're almost we're we're almost at 400 nominations this year. Last year we had nearly 300. Um, we didn't know that these stories were out there. Now now we do. The reason we did it this way is because this is very much a part of Reader's Digest DNA. From our very first issue in 1922, we accepted user generated content. If you look at our magazine now, you'll see. Um, true hundred word stories, which we're collecting hundreds of them every single month. They're just people telling their sort of cocktail banter stories. And, and we publish three or four of them in the magazine every month. All of the jokes in the magazine and the thousands and thousands of jokes we've printed over our hundred year history were just from, from people, from users. Um, you know, we've had a long section in these United States, which are basically just little tiny little front porch stories from all over the country that kind of, you know, uh, make you smile a little bit or make you think. Um, so that this has been a huge part of our DNA from the beginning. And so we thought in collecting these stories um, that we would really want to collect them from our readers. Once we've collected the stories and then we've read them and we publish some of them, when we're considering places for finalists, we do our own reporting. So um, last year, we considered about 40 of the 300 places that were nominated, and we took a really uh, strong look at them. And we had to, A, you know, verify that the stories that people told were true. So we talked to those people. We talked to people around them. Often, some of the stories would be reported in part or in full in the local media. Um, and then, B, we wanted to find, you know, more stories that would either support that this was one of the nicest places in America or undercut that theory. So we wanted to make sure that when we came out with that that 10 finalists, that um, none of the places were places that we didn't know something really terrible about that we missed something on. Um, so it is a combination of, of just kind of crowdsourcing all of these stories. A lot of, a lot of the stories you're not going to see, you know, obviously on cable news, um, as well as doing our own reporting. And we have a, you know, an army of freelancers and, and staff writers who, um, help vet all these places. So you talked about it a little bit before, but what are the common traits that you see in these places that really stick out that make them be considered for nicest place? Yeah, that's a great question because that's kind of one of the big things that we've learned is that there are the, the places that are on our finalist list last year, they're representative of lots of other places. So I think the first one is that there are tons of small towns all over America that are extremely close knit. Um, when something bad happens to someone in town, everybody pulls together. When a tragedy strikes the town, it, it everyone kind of circles the wagons to, to help fix that strategy. And there's a tremendous amount of empathy there um, within the town for the people in it. Another thing that we're seeing, though, is almost the exact opposite, or maybe I would say contrapositive of that, which is that, you know, especially in, in the immigration debates that we're seeing right now, you'd think that there are a lot of people who are are angry at immigrants or angry at, at immigration. And we're finding that most places are just very welcoming of strangers. We have uh, this year, one of our nominees is uh, a small place in Idaho that it has been known for accepting refugees and um, has absorbed and assimilated many, many refugees. And it's a point of pride for the town. And we had multiple nominations that talked about that. But we also had a nomination from someone, in, an older gentleman who'd moved there as a retiree and said, this is the this is the kind of town that I remember growing up with. 
um, in the 1950s, a sort of Mayberry that, that I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, but in the Andy Griffith show, the sort of fictional perfect town was called Mayberry. And a lot of people say, hey, my town's like that, where everyone's really nice to each other. So when when something like that can coexist in the same town, you know, a place that's really welcoming of strangers, but also makes people um, who want to hold on to something familiar feel really welcome also. And that, that's a really special place to us. So those are those are, are two big uh, things that we see. Another one that we see is that is that kids. You guys were probably more recently in high school than I was, but you know, high school in America can be a really brutal place. Um, but you hear so many stories of that actually just not being the case. I think we we tend to focus on things like bullying um, and, and people uh, you know are not unhappy in high school, but but kids in general are are very very kind and they're doing uh, incredible things all the time um, to be good to each other. One of our finalists last year was a high school in Texas, Pflugerville, which just is is such a um, an emblem of the, the kinds of good things that high school kids will do when you basically leave them for, to their own devices. Um, and I guess one last trend that I would point out is, you know, a lot of people say that that new digital tools are pushing us apart, you know, that everyone's fighting on Twitter or, you know, Instagram has this bad effect on people. But we're finding a lot of nominations where, um, you know, say a neighborhood and a big city becomes a really tight knit community through Facebook or through Nextdoor, which is a kind of like Facebook for neighborhoods. And we're seeing that all over the country that, you know, most people every single day when they they log on to Facebook, um, you know, they're, they're not focused on all the fighting and, and all the negativity. They're actually, you know, interacting with people in their community and they're interacting in really, really positive ways. So we're seeing all of those things across the country. And I think when we come out with our finalists this year, uh, you're going to see some really special places that tell those kinds of stories. So we joked about on on Good News, you know, whether or not our the places we grew up would be the nicest places to live. Um but but this is actually a pretty cool project that Reader's Digest is doing in order to maybe flesh out the narrative we have of the country, uh especially right now. And I, I do wanna take a, a quick pause and, and just kind of differentiate this from uh, a lot of of the parachute style journalism that happened after the election took place. Uh, right after the election took place, there was a lot of, of journalistic entities that were going to Midwest states, going to Southern states, and and trying to understand why Trump country was one way, and how you know the eastern and western seaboards are a different way, or or that this group of people might be misunderstood. And and I think that this is different in that they're doing the reporting, but they're also sourcing these places from the individuals that live there. And I think that his little spot about about Mayberry and and also the same community being, you know, very Facebook literate and and having community online. I, I think that speaks to a new growing demographic of of American town, American community that may not be as uh, polarized as as we think it may be. Yeah, and I, uh, going back to the episode we released on Wednesday, made that joke about, oh, it's about the people. It's not about the location. And uh, talking with Jeremy, the big thing was that this this uh, what they're doing is about the people. 
the people make the place nice. It's not that the it's the nicest homes or the nicest stuff. It's the people in the community that is nice. Um, and I just think that the parallels between what the Reader's Digest is doing with this and what we do with our podcast is are so similar. We're just trying to not necessarily put out a a different narrative, but say, hey, this narrative is a part of what's happening in the news. This is happening at the same time that all those other negative things are happening. And we're just trying to show a better picture of the world of the United States. More complete. It's not a facade. It's not it's not something that's put up so that you're distracted by something else. It's just recognizing that both of these things can coexist at the same time. For the contest information, uh, we'll send it back to Jeremy. So June 5th nominations close. You can go to rd.com slash nicest to nominate. June 19th, we'll be announcing the the, the 10 finalists. Um, and there will be a voting period that will last about three weeks. And then um, in early October, our November issue hits newsstands. And then at that point, our nicest place in America will be revealed. So, so this whole interview uh, was a lot longer than you just heard, and we'll be able to hopefully integrate other parts of it later on into different podcasts, because uh, we got to talk about, you know, if comedy is funnier when people are mean, or like the, the nature of New York City and how nice people actually are there. New York City? The nicest place in America? What? We we got to hear so much, and hopefully we'll be able to we'll share those pieces later on, uh, but... We'll leave you with this succinct version of of the Reader's Digest contest from Jeremy. Reader's Digest is looking for the nicest places in America because we want to change the media narrative. It's not all bad news out there. Most Americans, most of the time, are treating each other with dignity and respect. Uh, most of the time, neighbors are friends and, and strangers are welcomed, and we want to tell those stories. That's the same goal we have. So it's just incredible. And we're really glad we found this um, and can share it. And we really appreciate your time uh, sharing. Well, high five you know, all yes. the way across the country from yes. Oregon to New York. <laughs> For more good news, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts, as well as the World Wide Web. Good news, a podcast.com. Renovations to come.